You know, when Jesus walked around on this planet, he was a man in high demand, right? People pressed around Christ. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us all the numbers. Churches love to publish their numbers, right? We try not to talk about that a lot around here. But, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us many numbers at all about who Jesus ministered to or how many there were. But it does tell us some things. One is that, one is that at one point he fed 5,000 people. And the, those people were probably all guys and they had women and children with them. So there might have been as many as ten or 12,000 people sitting on this hillside. And Jesus fed those people. That's amazing, right? And he gathered a crowd that's really quite large. Another time he fed 4,000. One time, he, after he fed the 5,000, actually, he crossed over the Sea of Galilee, and those people followed around to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and they intercepted him in a whole other town and pressed in on him. And the Bible tells us at one point that he was teaching alongside the Sea of Galilee, this kind of small inland lake, and he was pushed by the crowd to the point where he was actually starting to get wet and had to get into a boat to avoid the press of the crowds. All, that, all of that pressure... All of those people took an effect on Christ as it would on you and me, right? And what Jesus did was he went off to be by himself. And periodically in the Gospels, you'll read some scripture that tells us that Jesus went and he got close with the Father. He just went away and he met with God in prayer. Well, as things progressed, and it was always all of Jesus' ministerial life was headed towards this one moment, this final Passion Week. And as that final night, Thursday night, came into time and Jesus was meeting with his disciples, he was meeting with his closest friends. And what we're going to do now is celebrate in keeping with what he said on that night. But what he invited his friends to do was to be a part of that relationship he had between him and the Father. When he got away from the crowds, what he did was connected with the Father. And this is maybe the first time that I can understand in the Gospels where Jesus invites us to be a part of his relationship with God. In fact, John chapter 17, which is a chapter from that whole night, in fact, 14, 15, 16, 17 of John are all from that night. John chapter 17 is a prayer relating how Jesus talked to God the Father and just bringing these disciples into it. Well, a real connecting point for that was, of course, the communion service, the first communion service. And I'm going to unfold this, and the deacons are going to begin to come, and we're going to go through a communion service here at Parker Ford Church this morning. This is kind of a surprise. We didn't plan on it earlier, so you didn't hear about it. Sometimes we schedule these things, but we thought it would fit, and so we kind of put this in the service because this is really what it means Uh, for Jesus to bring us close, right? Deacons come right out and up and stand right in front with me. You know, there's this thing that happens where we need to know that we are bought with a price. And this is the bread and this is uh, the, the cup. It's grape juice. But what Jesus says is something very different. He says, you need to get to God. The closeness you're going to have with God, it comes through me. This is why we pray when we pray in Jesus' name. You'll hear us say these words. We can't connect with God in closeness without Jesus. There's no possibility of connection without Jesus. And so on this night when Jesus gave us this particular service, what he was doing was giving us this opportunity to connect with God and symbolizing how it was supposed to work and to symbolize the fact that we always have to enter through Jesus. And is this closeness. I want to read for you from 1 Corinthians 11 where Paul writes about this. It says, For I received from the Lord that I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup to the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. Let me tell you that if you're not a member of, a Par- of Parker Ford Church, that's no big deal this morning. If you're not somebody who's attended here before, that's not something that's important for this service. This service, what's important is that you want to get close with God and you're willing to get rid of all of the stuff in the way between you and God. That's all that matters. You have a personal relationship through Jesus Christ with God the Father and that you have this ability to decide to repent or get rid of the things that are in between you and God. That's all that's required to participate. Some churches require you to be a member or to be uh, somehow attending for a period of time. That's not part of this service at all. If you're a Christian and if you have a relationship with Jesus, that's all that's required. So we're going to pass the bread out. The deacons are going to bring it, and you're going to stay in your seats for this. And as you get a piece of bread, I just want you to take this moment and just kind of connect with God and say, okay, what's between me and you as far as things I might have done wrong, things that you would like to share with me? Take it as a time to be a little introspective and kind of examine yourself, as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians. You may go. If you're a student of the Scriptures, you know that there's uh, these moments where you read the Scripture and you find out that they have, uh, they speak in these profound ways. They meet you right where you're at, and they also have a way of fulfilling themselves. I don't know if you know what I mean, where... You read something in another part of Scripture, and now you read this, and you see how it all kind of fits together in a moment, and one word kind of fulfills another word. What's interesting is, like, you go back and read that same Scripture, like, two years later, it's almost like you shuffle the deck. You come back, and you read that same Scripture again, and you find the same exact Scripture fulfilling other Scriptures and speaking to your life in a completely and totally different way. It's unlike any other writing, and the reason is because it's the words of God. And that's why it tells us that the word is alive and it's active. It's almost like this thing's like living, like it's moving. It's crazy sometimes, you know? And one of the things that happens is when you read the scripture and you see the moments that, that this story of, of someone doing this thing in scripture, you, you can find all sorts of different angles on why it's so profound and what's amazing about it. And there's never more truth in that than in the life of Jesus. And very few moments in the life of Jesus do that as much as the Last Supper. And, you know, that's what we were just talking about. And Josh was sharing about how the Last Supper is really this moment where Christ invites us into the closeness that he has with his Father. And so there's these these huge moments where he feeds 5,000 people, but then there's this intimate moment where he feeds 12. And it's him and his dad having dinner and having them around the dinner table with him. And there's, there's things that tip you off to, to it being that kind of night. I mean, they wash each other's feet, which it's like, what? You know, <laughs> like, really? Um, and and that's, that's one of those things that tips us off that it's intimate, that it's close. And there's also, it talks about John reclining against Jesus' chest. So, like, here you have the Apostle John leaning back on Christ, and they're washing each other's feet. Like, this isn't the stuff that happens with 5,000 people hanging out. This is a close room. You know, and culturally that stuff's a little weird for us, but we can see very easily the indicators there that this is like, this is closeness, this is intimacy. And that's one angle on why this is close, but there's a whole nother angle on why the Last Supper is close and what makes it very intimate and just how close it is. And the, uh, Josh read from Corinthians, Paul's perspective 
on what made it close, you know? And, and he says, don't come to the table hungry. Don't come to the table lightly. Make sure that you know what this is about. This is about the intimacy with Christ. And that's what Paul's reflections on the Last Supper. But Jesus has reflections on the Last Supper prior to the Last Supper. I don't know if you can call it reflection, if it's beforehand, but since Jesus is timeless, it really is that. It, this is months, if not years, before the Last Supper, Jesus is communicating with his followers, and he begins to speak about the Last Supper, and he begins to show us meaning for it. And it's in John chapter 6. At this point, Jesus isn't even down in Jerusalem. He's not even down in Judea. As a matter of fact, we're told that he's specifically avoiding it because he knows his killers are down there, and he's not trying to get killed yet. That's not, he knows that he will allow himself to be killed, but not yet. And so he's hanging out up in Galilee in Capernaum when he makes this statement to his followers, which rocks their world. And it's in John chapter 6. I don't think it's going to be on the screen. I'm asking that you would follow along. If you have a Bible and you want to read along, that's fine. If not, I just ask you to close your eyes and envision yourself up there around the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is speaking this for the first time, and you're hearing him say it. You've been following this man around. You've been seeing him heal people and do all sorts of miraculous things. You've seen him, you know, just one thing after another, blow everyone's mind and teach in these profound ways. And then he says this. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me. If you're a student of the scriptures, that's one of the, one of the phrases there that will jump out at you, remains in me. And we'll get back to that. And I in them. Just as, the, just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, Many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Okay, so this is the other angle that Jesus gives on what this Last Supper is about. This is how intimate this actually is. It's one thing to be close to each other, around a table, washing each other's feet, kind of lounging on each other. That's close. But this is a whole nother level of close. He says, you have to eat my skin and you have to drink my blood. That's vampire stuff, you know? Like, what is he talking about? What is he saying here? And how close is that? Close enough that no longer am I just touching him on the outside, but now he is actually coming inside of me. I am eating him. I'm consuming him. And he goes from being out here to being in here. That's how close 
he's saying this thing is. And that's the symbolism behind the communion, is that it's so close that he comes deep down inside of us. And this one who in John chapter 1, we're told, is the Word of God. It says that the Word, the eternal Word of God, the communication of God, became flesh and dwelled among us. And that was Jesus, who was God's Word, who became flesh so that we could see Him, we could understand Him, we could interact with Him. And then He's going to die, and then He tells us this, that this Word that became flesh, we're supposed to eat this flesh. And when we eat this flesh and take it into us, what does He say? He says that, 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 that where we just read in verse 63, He says, What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where He was before? The Spirit gives life... The flesh counts for nothing. Now listen to this. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Jesus has been spirit for all of eternity past. And then he became flesh. The word became flesh. Then we eat the flesh and then it becomes spirit again inside of us. And it goes from spirit to spirit, but it goes just from spirit, eternal past, to a living spirit with inside of us. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. And the picture of us taking communion, the picture of us eating that bread and drinking that cup is the picture of us saying we cannot live on our own. We are spiritually dead on our own. But as we consume Christ, as he comes and dwells within us, we now can say that the flesh Nothing compared to the Spirit because it is the Spirit that is eternal and it is the Spirit that breathes life into me. And so this act of communion, when we remember communion and we have the Last Supper again and we practice it together, this is not just us remembering something that happened. Remembering a dinner table 2,000 years ago that was super intimate and we want to recreate the dinner table. That's true. That's one angle on communion. We try to recreate that. But that's not all it is. It is also not just a miraculous religious ceremony by which we transfuse the blood of Jesus into us or the life of Jesus into us. It is not this communion service right here that's some magical thing that all of a sudden makes me Christian and makes Jesus live inside of me because I've done this. What this is, is it's a tool of memory. And he said, as often as you eat and drink, do this in remembrance of me. And what he's trying to get us to do is build this discipline of remembering what it is that he has made possible to us. And what is it that he has made possible through his shed blood and his broken body? Remember, he says, if you eat my, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will not be able to remain in me. That word remain in me, does that ring a bell for any of you? Any other times in the scriptures where he says remain in me? If you flip further down in, in, in John and you go from chapter 6 to chapter 15, now Jesus is down in Jerusalem and he's sitting in this room around the table with the apostles. And it's John chapter 15 and he's speaking to them and he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. You must remain in me if you want to bear fruit. And so what is he saying? The life blood, the flow, the sap that flows through the vine can go into the branches so that it can bear fruit. And what he's saying to them is, you can bear fruit in your lives only if you will remain in me. And what he told us in chapter 6, all the way beforehand when he was up in Capernaum, is he was saying that if we eat that flesh and if we drink that blood, we remain in him. 
So is this the religious ceremony that if we take enough of this bread and if we drink enough of this cup, you know, traditionally wine, right here for you, grape juice, help some of you stay on the wagon maybe, you know, and uh, this, this cup and this bread, if we eat enough of it and drink enough of it, does it mean that we can have more of Christ in us? To the extent that we eat this bread and drink this cup, we can have more of Christ in us. No. That's not what it's about. It's reminding us that it is now possible for us to remain in Christ. And what's interesting is, is that this is a command of Jesus. He's saying, remain in me. So whose job is that? It's my job. It's your job. It's our job to remain in him. This isn't just a miraculous ceremony that makes Christ remain in us. It's not just an event back there where he was close to someone. This is my job to remain in him. And this Meal is to remind me constantly that I can remain in him. As a matter of fact, he will dwell within me. As a matter of fact, if I have received him, he does dwell within me. And my job is to stay connected, to stay close. And so he commands me to remain in him. Now this, is, this work of trying to remain in Christ is not always easy, and it, it takes work, and it takes discipline to figure out how to stay connected to Jesus. And uh, it, this isn't just like, you know, physical exercise or eating healthy or some other discipline like any other discipline. This is actually much more than that. Jesus makes it very clear that this is the essential activity of our lives, that there is no other activity that comes anywhere close to being as important as this activity of learning to remain in him, to connect to him. There's no place that says it better than Luke chapter 10. I'm going to ask you one more time to close your eyes and imagine that you are in Bethany. You are in uh, Bethany where Mary and Martha live. And this is the story. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord replied, you are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. You can open your eyes. This is... This is the moment where Jesus reveals to us, this is it. I mean, this is the key thing. Remember, here is Martha trying to be a wonderful host for Jesus. I mean, how many of us would want to be a good host for Jesus if he was coming to our house and she's running around trying to take care of everything and everything, and Mary's sitting here at the feet and she's hanging out with Jesus. It says she's sitting at Jesus' feet listening to him. And Mary gets all bent because, or Martha gets all bent because Mary's not helping out. And she demands that God tell her to do something. And then God says, she's chosen the only thing that really matters and it won't be taken from her. And this, is, this speaks profoundly to us right here, right now. We can't bear fruit without Jesus. 
We can't do anything else without Jesus. We're told by him we can't live without Jesus. That life itself is found by remaining in him. That productivity in our lives is found by remaining in him. That all other disciplines, all other efforts, all other things that we get distracted by are simply distractions unless we are first remaining in him because this is the most central and most important part of our lives is remaining in him, is sitting at the feet of Jesus and just listening to him. Staying connected. So then there's one more question here that we have to deal with. Well, here we are humans who struggle, and he is God of heaven. So how do we stay connected? You know, how do we remain in him? Acts 17 says this, The God that made the whole world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From the one man, he made all the nations that should inhabit the whole earth. He marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Listen to this in verse 27. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And Romans 10 Basically, Paul, quoting from Deuteronomy, says this. He says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, who will bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning the faith we proclaim. Where is Christ right now? Where is he? If we have received him, he is dwelling within us. Our job to remain in him is found in exploring Christ who lives within me. And as Josh said at the beginning of the service, nine times out of ten, the thing that keeps me from connecting with Christ is I'm going at mock speed. You know, I'm running and I'm distracted by this and I'm doing that and I haven't learned to stop, get quiet, and listen to the voice of Jesus because it's there. He's there if I will stop and I will listen. And his voice for you and his voice for me are very unique, you know. Uh, Some of you have a great relationship with my wife. And the way that you talk and the way that she and I talk is radically different probably, you know. Each of us relate to each other in unique ways. And Christ relates to each of us in unique ways. He has a unique way that he wants to communicate with each and every one of us. And he comes and dwells within us. We consume the bread and the cup and his spirit dwells within us. And he wants to have that close and intimate relationship where he actually communicates with our hearts. But we actually have to get quiet and still and slow so that we can get close. And that's on each of us. No one else can transfer their personal relationship onto us. Have you ever been in one of those situations where you have a friend who has a really good friend and they want you to be friends with them? And they have this great friendship, but then you get there and it's like, unless I build a friendship right here with this, the triangulation thing doesn't work. You know, if I try to be friends with this person through you, that doesn't really work. You have to build your own unique bond. And this is the way it is in our relationship with Christ. Just because we come to church and we do religious activities and we know other people who know Jesus, it doesn't mean we know him. We have to learn how to sit at his feet and remain in him and listen to him. And so what we do in these moments is we ask Christ to meet us. We ask him 
to be with us, to help us learn how to hear him. And it's not just our job, it's our privilege. You know, this is what he died on the cross for, is for us to be in communication with him. So what we're doing as we close for the remainder of our time is this. Is, uh, you received one of these today. Um, this is a little booklet that the worship planning team put together. Matt really did this. Thanks, Matt. And um, this is a booklet to kind of just guide us through. We're going to, uh, there's a passage of scripture here that we'll reflect on for a few minutes. And there will be some prompts that are going to be on the screen. And the prompts will lead us. There will be some music uh, playing in the background. Jeff's going to play some music for us. Um, and there will be some prompts that you, and, and this is kind of like a journal for you for today. Did anyone not get one of these things? If you didn't, raise your hand and it'll come around. How about a pen? Does anyone not have a pen or a pencil? Okay. So what's going to happen is, like I said, there's going to be prompts on the screen that are going to guide us through a time. The text that we're using to kind of reflect on uh, is on the second page of this thing, and you'll see it come up here a few times, uh, the text that we'll kind of walk through. And we're just asking in this moment that we would learn to explore how our spirit can communicate with the spirit of God who dwells within us. So uh, please uh, quiet your hearts and bow your heads, and I'm going to invite God's presence to be with us in this moment.